it seems like everybody has a really good fight story, like a really good story from your childhood when you got in a fight with a sibling or a friend, somebody at school, a parent, or somebody like that. And those are really fun stories to tell. I'm not sure if you have one, but I have several, but I'm going to share one with you this morning if that's all right. So, many of you know that I have a younger brother named Blake. He's uh, two years younger than me, and when we were um, in middle school, early high school, somewhere in that time, um, we were picking up walnuts outside um, in our front yard, and we would do that every fall. We had a lot of walnut trees. We'd have to get them up off the ground, and we earned uh, a few bucks doing that, and that was really cool, but when my brother and I did manual labor together, it never worked out very well. Um, I don't know if any of you can relate, but... Um, I don't remember what the particular argument was, but um, my brother and I were getting pretty mad at each other, and finally my brother had enough, and he stoops down, and he picks up a walnut off the ground and proceeds to throw it at my head as hard as he could. Luckily, it missed. So in my rage and in my retaliation, I also stooped down to pick up a walnut, but as I was winding up, I had this really quick thought. Tyler, you can't throw this walnut at Blake, because if it actually hits him, he's going to get hurt, and you're going to get in a lot of trouble. So I decided to still do something, right? I already have the walnut in my hand. So I decided to throw it straight down at the ground in front of me, but toward my brother. My brother didn't know I wasn't going to actually throw the walnut at him. And so as he's seeing me winding up, he's backing up, and he trips over a tree root, and he hits his head really hard on the base of the tree trunk, and he runs in crying to mom. And this was my favorite part of the story because then I get to kind of calmly like follow him in and uh, he's talking to my mom and he's hysterical. Mom, you won't believe what Tyler did. He pretended to throw a walnut. I mean, I tripped and fell and hurt myself. And uh, my mom was a little confused by this story. So I get to fill in the details. Oh yeah, he threw a walnut at me. Um, and that's what kind of started this whole thing. And uh, so long story short, my brother got in trouble and I did not. If you were to write a book about our childhood, you would call it, Blake got in trouble, Tyler did not. It worked out really well that way every time. And see, these old fight stories from childhood, they're like, they're fun to tell. Um, But there are some other fight stories that aren't as much fun to talk about. James chapter 4 opens up with this question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? In other words, what causes fights among you? Christians within the church. These are the types of fights that aren't laugh out loud funny. And in our history, Glendale has not been immune to these fights. And some of you can remember with me back when I was kind of in high school, early college, we had a couple fights that really did some damage um, to our church and to our witness. And I'm sure fights and disagreements are happening right now in our church. And in reality, no church is immune to these fights, to these quarrels, because churches are made up of humans. And ministry would be a lot easier if it didn't involve people, but turns out it does. And so the Christians to whom the book of James was written to were also not immune to these issues, these fights, these disagreements. And so James addresses them head on. And so this is going to be maybe a more convicting message, um, maybe more... um, personal one. I think this, uh, this hits home for me personally uh, quite a bit, and so I encourage you to, to strap in and let um, God's word speak truth um, into your life, into the life of our, our church. But James asks, 
what causes fights and quarrels among you? And so before we discover what James has to say about that, his answer to that question, uh, we're going to gain some valuable insight from the passage right before that, uh, where James lays a foundation of what is wisdom. And so uh, we're going to start in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you uh, to pull that out. It's not going to be on the screen this morning. My bad. I didn't get my stuff in in time. Um, And so uh, I encourage you to follow along um, in your Bible or just listen along. As I read, here's James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So before James asks the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He asks a different question, who is wise? Among you. And he defines and describes wisdom, I think, in a different way than we typically do. I often think of wisdom as like knowledge, intellectual ability, the ability to give advice and sound, you know, judgment, you know, for other people. And I really like that version, that definition of wisdom, um, because I'm in ministry. I, I work for Christian Campus House, which is a college ministry for students at Missouri State and OTC and all over Springfield. And I really like the feeling of a student coming and talking to me and saying, hey, Tyler, I need some advice right now. Can you help me? I'm like, yeah. It like strokes my ego a little bit. Or Tyler, I don't understand this about the Bible or I don't understand this about God. Can you teach me? You're welcome. I will. And you know, those, those things aren't bad, right? But, but I tend to latch on to this definition of wisdom as like intellectual ability and knowledge and stuff like that because I like the feeling of being that wise sage who can kind of be like, yes, here are the answers to your life. Um, but that's not how James describes or defines wisdom in this passage. Um, how he does is he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And so wisdom here is defined by humility that shows itself in good deeds. Notice it doesn't have anything to do with knowledge necessarily. You don't have to know everything to be wise. James says, let him show it in the humility being lived out and good deeds. And this is godly wisdom. And so maybe some of you are thinking like, well, I can't be wise. I, d- I don't feel like I know enough. But that's not what this passage says. Um, humility that comes from wisdom and doing deeds for that. Um, some people come to my mind when I think of this definition of wisdom. One of which I'm going to pick on her is my mom. I think my mom lives this out, that she seeks the needs of others before her own. She lives in this humility, and she serves others in that way. And I see wisdom here, um, you know, this definition of wisdom, you know, can really be um, placed on her. And uh, she's the first to tell you, like, I don't, 
I don't know everything. Like, um, and, and yet I see that my mom, according to this passage, is wise. And when I compare myself to this definition, I'm like, ooh, I don't know so much about that anymore. Um, this passage differentiates between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. So worldly wisdom involves envy. It involves selfish ambition. And we see that in the world today, right? We see the advice that we get um, from the world that we're, we're told to get what's rightfully yours, to earn as much as you can, to work your way up the corporate ladder, to look out for number one, to let your voice be heard. And often how we do these things is we have to let our voice be heard at the expense of others. And so our success means maybe somebody else's failure. And we seek our needs before others. And this is often what the world tells us to do. But at the core, this is pride. This is worldly wisdom. This is the opposite of heavenly wisdom that is defined by humility lived out in good deeds. And so when we take this worldly wisdom and bring it into the church, it's especially harmful. Because all of a sudden we start assuming authority positions that maybe aren't ours that we're not ready for. And we start making our opinions heard for the sake of selfish ambition or out of envy. We squash others in our wake. We create enemies. And in all of this, we can destroy a church. And honestly, sometimes we can do this in the name of wisdom. And that happens when we think that we know all of the right things that this church should do or we have a monopoly on how to do ministry and we let our voice be heard at the expense of unity in the body of Christ, and it ends up causing dissension. James is saying here, this isn't godly wisdom. This is worldly wisdom. This kind of wisdom is called earthly, unspiritual, demonic, when the fruit is disorder, when the fruit is disunity, when the fruit is every evil practice. But then James defines and describes godly wisdom, or heavenly wisdom, and it comes directly from the Lord. And the source is the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. And he says that heavenly wisdom is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And once again, none of these require superior intelligence or supreme knowledge. Instead, they require humility lived out in action. And so a challenge for us this morning is to ask this question of ourselves. Can people describe me using these words? Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And if not, why not? Are we letting our pride lead us to envy, selfish ambition, disorder, and every evil practice? Or are we receiving from the Lord, this heavenly wisdom, and living it out. So now that James has talked about this worldly wisdom that's defined by pride, that's defined by selfish ambition, getting what's mine, versus heavenly wisdom, which is all about humility lived out, we can now fully address the question that he asks at the beginning of chapter 4, starting in verse 1. So I'm going to read chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. This is what James says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. 
you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. And this is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So what causes fights in the church? What causes fights and quarrels among us? It's our desires that battle within us. These envious, these selfish desires that come from worldly wisdom, that come out of pride. He says, you desire, but you don't get what you want, and so you kill, and you covet, but cannot get the things that you really desire, and so you fight about it. So how many church fights have we experienced, and have we seen from other congregations? How many of those have occurred because people just want to get what they want, right? I want my preferred style of music played, or I want modern lighting in the auditorium. I don't want modern lighting in the auditorium. I wish the sermons here were more seeker-friendly. Well, I wish the sermons here were theologically rich and challenging. I wish our church did more for overseas missions. I wish our church focused more on local endeavors. You know, I think this or that ministry should go in a different direction. And often we mistake our personal preferences for God's will. So, when we do that, uh, we, when our church doesn't align with our personal preferences, we think that something's wrong with the church. And so in trying to bring our personal preference to the forefront, we often um, do that as kind of like a holy crusade. And we want this to happen because we think this is what the church needs. And then all of a sudden, we're causing dissension and, and starting fights. So none of this is to say that we can't have conversations about how to improve things at Glendale and how to encourage the body better, how to reach out to the community and to the world. But it is to say that we should not let our personal preferences cause dissension and cause disunity and cause fights. So I was a worship minister at Countryside Christian Church for uh, about three and a half years, and I love Countryside. It's a great congregation. I love the people there. Um, but I was the worship minister, and worship ministry tends to be the personal preference playground, right? This is where all of that comes to the forefront. And so I, I would often have conversations with people after service where they're like, well, I really wish you would have done this instead of that. I had several people um, in the church that were, that were kind of constantly saying, you know, I think your leadership style should be more spontaneous. You should be leading um, and, and letting the Holy Spirit lead you uh, more effectively in a worship service. And, and they defined that as you should go kind of off script and maybe come up with random songs that your worship team wasn't prepared to play and, and all that fun stuff. And then on the other side, I had people saying, I wish you were more prepared. Like, I wish I got a bulletin when I walked into the service that told me exactly what songs we were doing, what verses out of the songs we were doing. I, I want that. And so I felt pretty tugged in two different directions there. I would often have people say, hey, we need to sing this song. And not just like, hey, I really like this song. I'm going to offer this as a suggestion. It's like, no, this is the song. If we're not singing this song, we're not a very spiritual church. Like, we got to be doing this one. This is it. 
And it, it, a lot of those times were, you know, funny, and we got to work through some uh, personal preferences, and it was fine. But there were a few moments where people left because their personal preferences weren't met um, in, in the worship service. And that's really unfortunate when that happens, when those fights and disagreements lead to disunity. James says, you quarrel because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James seems to think that we fight because Instead of asking God for the things that we need, we try to take those things from others out of envy and selfish ambition. And then he says that when we do ask, when we do actually go to prayer uh, for the things that we need, we ask with wrong motives. And I was trying to think about what selfish prayer would look like in this instance. And I think it would be praying for things without regard for what God thinks about it, without regard for his will. And then also without regard for the needs of the others around me. And instead, we're just praying for what we want, for the wrong motives. And so when it comes to church, do we consider other people's needs before our own? Do we keep God as our top priority? Or do we just hone in on what we want and we try to get what we want out of things? I think there's a good companion passage to this um, section in James, and that's in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5. And this, was, this is what it says there. This is what Paul has to say. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing if all of us in this community, in this church, would have the same mindset as Jesus when we relate to one another? If we did nothing out of selfish ambition, but instead we saw other people's needs as more important than our own, and we we fought to meet the needs of others and to worship God rather than fighting one another, that'd be amazing. And you know, I'm saying this going like, that would be amazing for me too. Like, sometimes I have the same mindset as Jesus for like a fleeting moment. I'm like, oh, I'm really thinking like Jesus. And then my sinful nature kicks in. I'm like, oh, I'm a doofus, you know? Like, it's hard. This is what um, God calls us to do, and he's given us his spirit um, for that strength, for that ability. You know, James doesn't hold back here. He says that when you're causing fights among brothers and sisters in Christ, you are holding on to friendship with the world and you are becoming an enemy of God. So this is not just some like trivial matter in our walk with Christ, but this is very central to to how we relate to God and others. The two greatest commandments are to love God and love others. And so if James in this passage is describing you and me, and describing things that, that we d- do on a regular basis, and is speaking very specifically into maybe fights and disagreements that are happening right now in our church body, how should we respond? 
I think James answers that question in verses 7 through 10 of chapter 4. He says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So the solution to our problem is humility, is this heavenly wisdom that he talked about in chapter 3, is submitting ourselves to God. And so when we're submitted to God, we're saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. And when we do that, I believe that fights, disagreements, quarrels in the body of Christ would cease because we'd love God and we'd love our neighbor and we'd be surrendering our selfish desires. And this passage describes submission to God and repentance kind of in the same vein. This submission involves and requires repentance. James says we should wash our hands. We should grieve, mourn, and wail over the ways in which we've caused division and dissension in the body. And so repentance is is more than just saying sorry. We should be saying sorry to God and to the people that we've harmed, but it's also a change in direction. It's saying, I once was living out of worldly wisdom, selfish ambition and pride and just wanting what I wanted, regardless of what other people needed. But now I'm walking in humility. I'm submitting myself to God and I'm saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to glorify God and meet other people's needs instead of dying on the hill of my selfish ambition, my selfish desires. James says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And this is, I think, what's amazing about the gospel, what's amazing about Jesus, is that when we humble ourselves, God exalts us. He lifts us up out of our godly sorrow, out of our sin, and he brings us joy, life, and love. And he calls us his children. He calls us his ambassadors in the world. And so practically, what do we as a church, what do we as individuals need to do to obey this passage. I'm just going to read two more verses, um, verses 11 and 12 in this passage. It says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you? To judge your neighbor. So I think very practically, James is saying, do not slander one another. Do not gossip. Do not talk badly about a brother or sister to someone else behind their back. And I have to be honest, we struggle with this here at, at Glendale. I've been guilty of having these conversations where I'm talking about somebody in the church behind their back. I've been a fly on the wall during those conversations, and those are dangerous. Those bring disunity. Those cause fights. The fruit of that is disorder and every evil practice, according to this passage. How many of you have heard the phrase or say the phrase, I just need to vent real fast, right? I just need to vent. And when I use that phrase, often it means I'm justifying the slander and gossip that I'm about to, you know, do, right? Um, It's so easy to fall into that 
temptation to fall into that trap. But Jesus calls us to go to the person directly that we have an issue with and not tell anybody else about it. It sounds simple, but it's super hard. It's much easier to sit down with five people who are going to agree with me and say, you won't believe what he did. But instead, Jesus says, go directly to that person who has harmed you and sit down and, and work through it and be reconciled to one another. And so when we see room for improvement here at Glendale, let's lovingly begin a conversation with one another. And instead of conflict, such things can lead to cooperation and could lead to the kingdom advancing even more. I think we're called to be humble when things don't go our way in the church. We need to discern whether our way was just a mere personal preference or if it's like something that scripture has clearly stated. If, if at Glendale we're not obeying scripture, we need to change that. Like something needs to be done. But maybe you voiced an opinion, a personal preference, and it, it didn't take, you know. Maybe, maybe that's not what's happening. And when it's a personal preference, we are called to be humble. We are called to see the needs of the people around us as more important than our own. And then on the opposite side of things, um, if we're like a leader of a ministry team or a leader in the church or we're a part of a ministry and somebody comes up to us and says, hey, this is something that I think could really improve uh, this ministry, to be humble when we receive that constructive criticism. Once again, I work for a ministry. I work for Christian Campus House. And when a student comes in and says, hey, I think this is something that we can do to really improve things at Christian Campus House, it's really tempting to hear that as, you're not doing your job like I think you should. And I can hear that with ears that are corrupted by my pride, right? And I start getting really defensive, and I take that personally. And, and uh, instead, we're called to be humble. And I think that humility can lead us to recognize that we're all on the same team. And we're serving the one true God whose ministry this actually is. It's not our ministry. It's, it's his. And so we want to work together to to glorify him, to grow his kingdom. And we can have good conversations about how to do that better and more effectively here at Glendale without that leading to fights and to disagreements and all of those things. And so as we close, I think it's important to point out that the only true way we can overcome our selfish desires, our worldly wisdom, our envy, and our pride is through Christ's humility. We don't have it on our own. That's why heavenly wisdom is from heaven. It's not from inside of us. We can't muster up this strength to be humble. We can't muster that up out of ourselves. We need it from the Lord. And, and Jesus perfectly displayed it. Um, I referenced earlier Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I want to read the rest of that passage, verses 5 through 11. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus enjoyed equality with God and the glory that came with that, but he humbled himself 
and he took up our cross for us. He became flesh and died in our place. And it's only through his sacrifice that we can be saved and set free from our sin, our pride, our selfish desires. And it is through being transformed by his spirit that we can have this heavenly wisdom, this humility that comes straight from the Lord. And so if you've not received this salvation through Jesus, if you've not surrendered to him as Lord and Savior, if you've not been baptized into a new life in Christ, please make that decision today. Come forward and talk to somebody and have a new life. Before we continue on with the rest of our service, I want to pray a prayer of repentance over this church. Um, For me at least, and maybe for you as well, this passage really convicts. I see myself in all of like the negative descriptions here. These are all things that I have done. These are all sins that I've committed. And so I want to pray as as Jesus, sorry, as James calls us to repent, to grieve, mourn, and wail over our sin. I want to pray a prayer of repentance. And then at, at a certain point, I'm going to pause. And in that silence, I encourage you to pray directly to God as well about how this has convicted you. And maybe there's somebody in this congregation or maybe it's somebody outside these four walls who you've talked bad about behind their back or you've been in a fight with that you need to be reconciled to. And I encourage you to, to pray that prayer and name that name to God and, and then to go and to do that, to have that conversation with them, even if it's this morning. But I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to continue um, in our time of worship. Lord, we praise you for who you are, that you are holy, 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 that you are perfectly pure. There is no sin within you. And Lord, in in your presence, we recognize just how sinful we actually are, um, that we put ourselves on the throne. Our pride leads us to worship ourselves and our own desires rather than you. And so, Lord, I pray this prayer of repentance, that we have fallen short, that we have started fights, that we have been selfish, that that selfish ambition has led to disorder in every evil practice. So God, right now, as we pause and we personally pray to you um, about those things that we need to repent of, I pray that you would bring um, those fights, those sins to mind. Lord, I confess that there have been times where I didn't understand or um, didn't agree with decisions that have been made in, in the church, and I've talked about that with other people before I've gone to the people who have made that decision. Uh, Lord, I, I confess that I've spoken ill of, of people behind their backs. Um, Lord, I thank you that when we humble ourselves before you, you exalt us, you lift us up, and that you have grace that covers our sin, that you have um, so much forgiveness for all of us, and you accomplish that through Jesus, you humbling yourself and dying in our place. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for who you are. 
I pray that we would walk in the light of Jesus' humility, Jesus' love, that we would have the same mindset as that of Christ when it comes to our relationships. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. You can all stand as we continue to worship. When the music fades and all is stripped away,